This is Strange Assembly episode 204. Guess who's back? Well, when we had Fred Wan in back in episode 188, I said that that was probably the the last AEG L5R episode. But it turns out I was mistaken because I have with me today uh, Brian Reese, the the final lead designer for AEG's iteration of Legend of the Five Rings. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing well. Still uh, getting used to that word "former" in front of my title, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, but doing well. Okay, this is uh, Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there or on iTunes or in the Google Play Store. We're also on the usual social media, facebook.com slash strangeassembly and at strangeassembly on Twitter. So, Brian, I I guess I'm in somewhat of a similar situation as when uh, Fred was on, which is that it's been long enough now that it may be less so for you, but some of the things that seemed like pressing issues in L5R right before... AEG sold the property just have kind of faded. Like, what's going to happen with the paths? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, that's that's one of the unfortunate realities. Yeah, you know, I was talking with one of my co-workers, Mark Wooten, about a storyline that he had come up with that I fell in love with about the crane. Between those two crane brothers, if you remember, that we were introducing and, and developing during Ivory Edition into 20 festivals. Uh, and it was one of many exciting stories that I was looking forward to to seeing and see where it goes and see what Sean and his team could do with it. Uh, and sadly, um, you know, it, it is what it is. I don't know if Fantasy Flight's going to pick that up, if they're going to uh, do a reboot with the story, do something brand new. We'll wait and see, but yeah, there's there's definitely a few uh, there is definitely a few storylines that I was sad that aren't going to wind up seeing the light of day. Well, maybe not. at least not under AEG's banner, I should say. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, we my guess was that the earliest we might know anything else whatsoever would be February, because that's that would be six months out from the game's release. I can't. That seems like the the longest time frame they'd have to start teasing things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could see that. You know, people might be wondering. You know, if I have secret hidden inside knowledge or whatever. You know, I've been I've been pretty hands off with the fa- fantasy flight aspect of it. So I, I really don't know. I mean, that makes sense that they might announce somewhere in the um, you know somewhere in the February time frame, whether six months out or. Or something like that. Yeah, maybe maybe the new year. But yeah, yeah, I would expect to start seeing some announcements coming out about it soon. That just seems like the earliest. And that would probably be a, oh, here's another little teaser, and then probably three months of dark. I mean, I, I, I haven't sit down and, and like formally tracked what their usual schedule is, but they clearly have a schedule. I mean, right, they, they have their marketing down. <laughs> yeah, 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 they... They definitely, I mean, I'm sure they have a plan on what they're going to do, and it's precise and clean, and and uh, and we'll find it soon. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward. I, I'm excited to see what they do with it. You're going to, like, come over and play in the first tournament? 
<laughs> you know, I haven't decided that yet. Uh, I don't know what my schedule's going to be like at this Gen Con this year. I might need to see if I can at least get the time off to play in the one tournament. I'm very interested to see how it comes out. So, Before you get time off to play in the tournament, do you have to get time off to wait in line? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll take things I haven't thought about for many years, Alex, for 200. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it, it was 2006 or seven when I retired, so from the competitive side of things. <laughs> so I'll I'll need to reacquaint myself with that apparently. Yeah. I, I, well, I was thinking, I mean, because it's it'll just have released. You'd have to you know, wait in line to to buy to anything get, at Fantasy Flight's it, yeah. booth. But I mean, you you do know some people at Fantasy Flight, so you might be like, okay, okay, Steve, can you just set two two corsets? Just set those aside. I'll pick them up. Yeah, I uh, there might be an email to Steve and say, hey, come on, buddy, <laughs> you helped you helped raise me. <laughs> Do it for 15-year-old Brian. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Before we, we wander off on that, since you mentioned Mark, and since I I have you on, and you may not know, but do you know, is there any sort of update on what the timetable is for his, uh, I guess I'm going to say his, I don't. I think he was the lead on it, but maybe he's not, upcoming Kickstarter from AEG? Oh, okay, yeah. I don't know if you're dancing around the name, but we could... Oh, no, I was letting you be to. cute. It's, it's, oh, okay. it's Thunderstone, third, right? Well, because AEG actually said yeah, that publicly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah, no. Uh, so, yeah, Thunderstone. Yeah, he's the project lead on that. Uh, I'm helping him develop it. That's actually the main thing that I'm working on. We do have the plan to, to start up the Kickstarter soon. I don't know if we're saying dates yet, so I'm not going to publicly say anything and then get whipped for it later. Uh, but, no, no, uh, no, but, that's yeah, fine. But, just... but progress is progress is moving along really well. I'm really happy with it. We had it at Gen Con. We were excited. We liked some of the things that worked. Uh, there were some things that definitely didn't work, so we went back to the drawing board, reimagined a few things. But I'm I'm really excited about it, and I'm a, I'm a huge Dungeon Dragons and and role playing nerd. Uh, almost almost every single week. Most Friday nights for the last 20 years, uh, I've played Dungeons & Dragons every single Friday, with few exceptions. And, and, you know, Thunderstone does, and I, I bring that up because Thunderstone definitely has that feel to it, right? You you get your heroes, you get your equipment, you go into the dungeon, you kill the monsters and take their stuff. Yeah, it's got it, your rogues and wizards and fighters and yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You get your rogues and your wizards and your fighters and you, yeah. So, yeah, so I, I, I'm excited about it. It is moving along really well. I don't think there's any problems with the uh, with the schedule and the release date. So, yeah, I knew you guys had had you have like prototype stuff essentially at Gen Con, and there had been some sort of announcement not that long after that about yeah having the Kickstarter, and then a later announcement of like yeah actually we're gonna keep on working on it and and push the Kickstarter back. Which I mean I'm always I- I'm in favor of a better project. <laughs> Kickstarted <Yeah>. later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just honestly, we liked uh, we liked what we had going into Gen Con. We, at Gen Con, we played with a whole bunch of people who had seen Thunderstone before, had never seen Thunderstone before, right? Played with them. Got a lot of great feedback at the end of Gen Con. We weren't happy with the product that we had. We, we weren't happy to release the product we had. So we went back and, and we've reimagined some stuff. We took it to Board Game Geek 
and uh, got a lot better response there. Um, not eh, that that sounded like the Gen Con one was bad, but that's just board game geek. The response that we got there was, was very good, very positive. So we are liking what we're doing, and yeah, that that Kickstarter should be uh, coming soon. Have you played the actual D and D branded deck building game? Which, well, really fun. Feels much less like D and D than Thunderstone does, honestly. But have you played Tyrants of the Underdark? I have not played the D and D deck building game. No. Okay. I believe Mark has. Uh, if not, Mark is one of the other guys on the team. Uh, has I, I personally haven't. I was just curious. Like, like I said, it doesn't doesn't have anything whatsoever to do with equipping a party and going into a dungeon and defeating monsters. <laughs> right. Certainly, as someone who worked on L five R for as long as I did, you know, I I definitely can relate to when you work on a property long enough and you start thinking, what's the cool thing that we could bring out? You know, maybe sometimes what's cool to you. And your brain isn't necessarily going to be cool to everybody else because they might not be in the same place as you, right? So competing drow houses or whatever, uh, you know, again, I'm not that familiar with it. But, you know, maybe that's to the designers and the developers like, oh, this is the cool next thing to do with D&D or whatever. This is resolving this storyline or that storyline. Uh, or certainly in L5R, right? We had that where it's like, hey, let's resolve this storyline, that storyline. You know, many of the players were like, well, how about just something a little, little bit more? basic a little bit more to sort of in the in the lines norm whatever right i don't know what the 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 reasoning on that i mean it's it's a very different like because it's uh it's got a board and there's an area control element to it too so you're deploying guys out on a on a board while you're doing the deck building let's see oh it actually there's, there's a question i don't know if they got a fantasy flight presumably do they get lock stock and barrel your art of war oh um Art of War, uh, yeah, they bought Rokugan, so they would have Art of War, you know, to be honest, from one of the guys who helped design it. I mean, there is a reason that even the most recent re-edition, which we have talked about on this podcast a few years back, didn't come out. It never got the legs to be good enough of a game. Uh, oh, okay. Like, that's just the cold reality. Well, then, then we shouldn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there were many there were other aspects too. It that wasn't the sole thing, but at the end of the day, when you played it, like it, yeah, it just and this is one of the guys who helped design it, and it just wasn't. We tried a few things to make it uniquely L five R. Didn't use dice, it used cards and stuff, and then in the end, you know, just the version we were on wasn't working, so that's why we put it back on the shelf. So I, I would be pretty surprised if. If anything resembling that version came out, but uh, but I mean they have Rokugan, right? So if they want to make a uh, if they want to make a Rokugan board game, they have the ability to do that. Card game, role playing game, board game, virtual reality game. I don't know. Yeah, I mean the the only thing they wouldn't own theoretically, I don't know what the terms were for like mechanical things. Although it's very hard to actually own the mechanical things. I just I just knew you had one of the issues when we had talked about it before was was cost, like how many you would print versus how much the product would have to cost, yeah. and if Fantasy Flight had more of an ability to... I don't know. So cost was one of the issues. There's no doubt about that. And it's one of those things where sometimes you look and say, okay, you know what, this is a fun, say, $50 game or $60 game, but we can't figure out how to get it for less than 90 right? And we just say, you know, this isn't a good enough game for $90. And maybe, maybe Fantasy Flight... Yeah, maybe they can figure out some way to bring that down, maybe figure out... And I, those are numbers I, I'm completely making up. 
I'm not part of production. I don't want, I don't remember what those numbers are these days. I'd have to go look them up on sheets. Uh, but, but yeah, but, uh, you know, maybe Fantasy Flight is able to bring that down. And honestly, they, you know, it, if they can just improve, improve or just make a better, a better version, there, there was plenty of room for improvement in that version. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know. And I do hope that we see more L5R out of Fantasy Flight than just the LCG that you know you you see more of the the sort of treatment that the Android world has yeah. and the with like the Arkham Horror Files is what they've branded that now where you know you can just have different iterations of things you know that you see the same characters pop up in in different versions of the games and yeah, and you know what? We'll we'll see what happens. I'm I'm hopeful that they will. I was over at Essen in 2012, I want to say, and Steve Horvath, for people who might not know, he's the he's in charge of marketing. He's number two at Fantasy Flight. He's basically the reason, uh, or he's he's one of the primary reasons, I should say, that they that L5R uh, was bought by Fantasy Flight because he's just such a huge L5R goober. And anyway, we were over there, and he also very coincidentally happened to be my local store owner uh, way back 20 years ago when I was a kid just getting started into the uh, gaming world. So we remained good friends all these years, and we're talking. And uh, he he was talking to me, you know, this was 2012, so this was Celestial Era, about L5R, and he couldn't understand why, you know, why we weren't doing board games when we talked about this and that. But he was really excited about doing board games and stuff at that time. And, you know, I started to notice as we were having this conversation that he was sort of laying out the plan for L5R that he had just in sort of swirling around in his brain. You know, if he owned the property, which now he does. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it definitely involved board games. So I'm hopeful on that front. You know, but again, you know, they, they keep closed-lipped, and so we'll uh, we'll have to see. Uh, but I but I am hopeful. Well, we can have. Let's say there will be there will be Legend of the Five Rings, the card game. Legend of the Five Rings, the miniatures game. Legend of the Five Rings, the collectible card, dice hand card game. <laughs> Legend yep. of the Five Rings, the investigation game. Legend of the Five Rings, the investigations game, but on a bigger scale. Legend of the Five Rings, the investigation game, on a smaller scale, but with an app. No. <laughs> Don't forget the collectible game of collectibles, where the the game is a mega game where you collect all the collectible games, and if you collect all the collectible games, then you get to play the mega game. I don't know how long it would take, but they they have the Arkham Knights thing. If they had a Rokugan Knights, might have to actually go to that. Yeah, we'll see. But there's some exciting stuff, and you know, it's it's in good hands, and there it's not for a lack of love, a passion, right? So. So I, I'm hopeful for what's coming out. Okay, but uh, we should, you know, people here, okay, people are going to say, oh, Brian's on the show. They're they're probably reasonably going to expect us to actually talk about your L5R. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. You, yeah, they just bring me on to talk about other people's interactions with L5R. <laughs> yeah, so I guess first thing, you know, you've had the chance to, to do a lot of this, and it was more fresh, right, when things happened, but I... Are there any just sort of comments that you want to make about L5R or working on L5R or whatever? I, you know, I, lots of frustrations. Anybody who's plugged into the online community in any, in any bit, you know, probably 
was able to see at least some of that. And, you know, lots of frustrations closer to the end and whatnot. But, uh, it, you know, when I look back, it's been an amazing experience. Uh, I've got to travel all around the world. I got to meet with just t- you know, yourself included, right? <laughs> just meet tons of amazing people that I would never have been able to meet, get to know, stay at their houses, have them stay at my houses, go out drinking, learn about them and their families. And it's been amazing. And you know, my, that chapter in my, uh, in my life, at least on a professional side of L5R might be closed now. Uh, and it wasn't all sunshine and roses, uh, along the way, but, you know, I'm, I, looking back, I'm really, I'm really happy that I had the opportunity to go through that and experience that and do something that just many people don't get to do, you know, work on the game that I, that I truly love since I was, you know, 15, go back when, and, uh, and get to turn my hobby into a living. I consider myself extremely fortunate and lucky in that. And uh, I, I look back on my L5R years very fondly. So setting aside sales and setting aside public response, which maybe makes this a nonsensical question, but setting those aside, <laughs> what what era of, of L5R do you think was the quote-unquote best from a, a game design perspective, not a you know, not, not the story aspects. Or... So I got a few different answers there. So the nostalgia in me says the very beginning, cause you know, everything was best back in 95. Uh, it was the first time experience your kid. Uh, it was fantastic. We have some Imperial era decks built now. Uh, and they're, it's, it's awful. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not awful. But it is definitely a much different game. Uh, you know, we're playing the Crane Honor versus Lion Military Gen 97, Second Day of Thunder, more or less. We play those decks against each other with a couple others splattered in. And, you know, I, I didn't enjoy the, I don't enjoy the game as much as I did now, but I have very fond memories of that, right? So that's, that would be one of my answers. Looking at it as just a professional designer, and you know what, this might this might be a little self-congratulatory, so I hope it doesn't come across this way, but I think Celestial, if I just had to be objective, Samurai Edition or probably Celestial Edition might be the time in the game's history uh, as a designer that, that I like the, the most, certainly with its flaws and, and certainly with looking back in hindsight. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Um on a personal level, my play, my play having stopped basically in Lotus on a competitive professional player, so to speak, level, uh, Lotus edition, I, I had a lot of fun with, uh, just personally, I understand that the vast majority of people did not. It, yes. And, and, and your time as lead designer was helped by your acknowledgement of that distinction. <laughs> we appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was. You know, in the, the Timmy Johnny Spike language, uh, uh, Johnny being, uh, for anybody who's not familiar with the, the, uh, the delineation, Johnny's being your sort of combo-y player might win, you know, three or four out of ten games or so, but, you know, they want to win with unique, interesting ways that other people haven't thought of. Timmy just wants, you know, do that one thing, do it big, might only win one out of ten games, but when you win that one out of ten with the four walls of Otosanuchi or whatever, it's boom, can't believe you, 
you were able to do that, right? Enlightenment was that for a long time in the game's history. And then, you know, your spikes, who spikes, you know, if they win 8 out of 10 games or 9 out of 10 games, they're mad that they didn't win that last one, right? They, uh, they, whatever it takes to grind out the win, right? So me personally, uh, I am a Johnny and a Spike. Uh, you can multi-class in them, right? Uh, so I'm a Johnny, <laughs> I'm, I'm a Johnny Spike. I very, very much enjoy, uh, the creativity and, and all of that, that Lotus brought along. And I think that might be one of the things that hit me, right? I was, I was able to just explore a whole lot because there was a whole lot to explore because they put a lot of words on every card. <laughs> um, and they did a lot of things and they were really powerful. Uh, and for, you know, spikes and or Johnny's, Johnny spikes like me, that was fantastic. Uh, so yeah, so just personally, you know, that probably would be my, my answer there. Um, uh, so there's, there's my three answers for your, what was your one favorite? <laughs> No, no, that that all makes sense. It's really hard. And it's just a personal thing, right? Because theoretically, I mean, the reason I right, I have to exclude sales or exclude public reception is because in some serious sense, the the, the best design game, you know, for a game like this, the best design is going to be which one did people like the best. That's, yeah. that's ultimately the... And this might surprise people, but if, if we were going by those numbers, at least for mine, Emperor Edition, Emperor Edition had the highest sales. Then it started to drop off, as probably everybody knows, but Emperor Edition, for much of it, did have the highest sales, right? So if we're going by that, it would be Emperor. And actually, I did enjoy Emperor, to be fair. Uh, as many have said, it was a great Tier 2 game. There was obviously some things that got out of control, which we've talked about many times. But uh, I honestly, there's there's not a time period in the, in the L5R's history where I couldn't find enjoyment out of that art. You know, even Gold Edition, which was probably my least favorite, but also where I won my world championship. At the time, I was having a lot of fun, even though it was the, probably the most restrictive time period of the game. So yeah. That probably wouldn't surprise me. I mean, it, I think what you say about the sales on Emperor Edition makes sense. I mean, it's one of those odd things is that we... We all sit out here and I can, you know, I can track tournament attendance or you can track, you know, get a general notion of sentiment, but AG is the only one who's sitting there with the actual final figures about all that. But I mean, what'd you say about Emperor Edition makes sense and it was a strong launch? It was riding the coattails of of a successful Celestial Edition, right? So people were excited for the next thing that was coming. As you say, it, it launched strong in the early parts of Emperor Edition, uh, and actually you had, you know, a, a good hand in this, uh, at least on this in this aspect. If we released all the four strongholds right at the beginning, so it launched really strong, really fast, ready to go. Well, that ended up being a problem later, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I we did, I did regret that decision to that, but you know, in all honesty, like it's it's one of those things that like. That would have worked if we had a better structure in place, right? It, it's not that necessarily that was a problem. I don't think that we properly accounted for what that was going to do to the flow of the game cycle, right? The the idea being that we're going to give you all four in the beginning, and then we're going to f- give you new ways to play with them and stuff as it went on. And that, you know, that hit sometimes, but I think it missed more often than it hit 
and oftentimes people when the new ones came out they were like oh okay that was that was neat for a couple of weeks anyway back to where i was it took away the ability to have a set marketed and sold on here's the big new you know big completely new thing that you can do with your deck part of it was a reaction to if i'm you know murking around into my own motivations for for pushing that was that you had in celestial and and frankly i think historically in all five r it had been hit and it had been really hit or miss with introducing new things and and even through celestial you had things that were launched that just never really had the chance to get going like a new stronghold comes out either either it just flops horribly and never goes anywhere or every once in a while it gets pushed so hard that it breaks the the environment in in half you know with the best example of that being the end of diamond edition right or at least that's or at least the example that that most strongly yep. comes to my mind oh yeah web webalize so webalize might still be the best selling expansion in L5R's history. I'm not positive on that. But it was certainly a really good selling expansion. And that's the expansion that brought in Coal Wall, which helped break the end of Diamond Edition. And, uh, or not Woot, uh, but, uh, Rat. Yeah, the Rats, uh, or the Mantis, uh, raiding. Uh, our bosses, right? The, yeah, well, the, yeah, the, man- the Mantis raiding was just unfun. Yeah. It was unfun out of proportion to even how good it was at the... <laughs> well... It is true. You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, there's... Yeah, that, that game was unfun, even if, like, you won. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, Cold Wall hit in Web of Lies, and then one of the, the, the thing that I will... And sometimes I think I would tend to consider the worst designed L5R card ever, which was Warrens of the One Tribe. Yeah, and I get... My way of thinking about that is it's like, let's take the most broken magic card ever and just make it a static ability on your stronghold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and this... So, Sorry, Mark, or you, or whoever came up with that. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know who, pers- I, who personally puts their name on that. Uh, you know, as I always said, it was always a team effort. You know, that was before I was on the team, but I'm sure it was the same thing, that it was a team effort. And, you know, that was... It was a new experiment uh, with the player design team that was early on with the player design team. I, you know, I don't fault them at all. They had, they were excited. Uh, you know, it was Wooten at that time. He was a player designer, though. I think he came on a little bit after that. I think he came on closer to the start of Lotus. But you know, some other old friends, Ryan Carter and Jared Devlin Schreier and Justin Walsh and Scott Hadsell. I don't remember who all was on that team. Um, but uh, you know, they. They were players, they had interesting ideas, and they were really, really interesting. And it's just, again, as I, you know, I sort of mentioned before, I don't, it's not that the ideas were necessarily poor ones. I don't think that the infrastructure was in place in order to handle that. You know, I don't think that they, this new player design team, which had all these great, passionate, exciting ideas, had the proper development and inside of a professional side of the game there to help funnel that into into some of the more exciting avenues that could have done gone i hope that makes sense uh but i you know i certainly look at web allies and my ma and me and you know and many of those other sets right and i look and i'm like well you can see the creativity there right you look at the mantis stronghold that's a very creative stronghold 
for its flaws in its final form or whatever, right? And it, I can't help but wonder, it's like, hmm, could that have possibly, yeah, yeah, it, it, it is in the past, right? Uh, <laughs> All the Mantis rating stuff got MRP'd or something to make it less horribly unfun. Yeah. Right, well, because part of the problem with, like, the first time around was that they got to trigger their raiding effects, even if they, like, stopped you from actually participating in the raid battle, but if I'm recalling correctly. Yeah, I mean, I think I think my, my favorite example that might sort of sum up the problems, uh, that I, not sum up the problems, but at least sum up a part of the problems that I see is, in Enemy of My Enemy, there was a unicorn personality, I'm pretty sure it was Enemy of My Enemy, that was errated once before it was ever even announced. Apparently, after printing, they found an infinite combo where you just... There was a unicorn, you targeted a province, and then if you... Uh, you could play items there, and if you played items, you drew a card. But there was there was a problem with the rules to where it didn't actually require you to play item to draw the card. So it just said battle draw a card. Any number of times per turn. Sorry, it was repeatable. Uh, <laughs> that, I, don't know, I don't know why that would be... Why it would be a problem? I don't yeah, understand. Right? So it was errated once before the player base even knew of its existence, and when they did the errata, they got it wrong. And so after its preview, but before it released, it was errated a second time. It, so it received two two erratas, and the second one coming just because the first one was a whoopsie daisy. We still didn't fix the problem, and you know I I think that's just like it it wasn't that long after that. You know, the big AEG. That was when Warlord was on its way out uh, before it got sold, and AEG went from, you know, a relatively large company to a much smaller, more focused company. And, you know, I think I think you just sort of, you look at that time frame, and you see, yeah, there's, there's obviously just some, some sort of internal, internal problems, you know, that were going on in, in Plague, and that, you know, that was a decade ago. We, we've gotten through them, but... Uh, or AEG's gotten through them. I wasn't part of there at that time, but um, shortly thereafter. But, you know, it is what it is, and, and, you, and you look back now and you think, ah, what could have been, right? I need a Professor Farnsworth's what-if machine from Futurama. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, but, I think a lot of the, the unicorn mess-up things, I, like Cole, Cole Wall seems more excusable. <laughs> like, I, I, don't think you, yeah. I, I don't think you could fix... Warrens of the One Tribe, that that thing, but the Cold Wall, the idea of like, wow, regions, those just don't get played. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, yeah, you could say, okay, how can we get regions played and and whatnot, and and you you throw out that idea, you know, hopefully a good play testing system would would be there to catch that stuff. Uh, you know, obviously something fell through the cracks, but yeah, you certainly look at Warrens of the One Tribe and you're like. I I genuinely wonder. Maybe this is just the power of hindsight. I've been there. I've I've been there on the inside and looking at a card on a piece of paper and looking at the exact same card when it shows up in a booster pack. I swear to you, it looks different. Uh, when you combine all the elements and you get it off a spreadsheet and you actually put it where it goes, you get a much you it it is easier to to get the picture of seeing. Uh, what's going on? And you know, by the end of playtest, we were playtesting with you know with art and everything to help try and with actual cards and stuff to try to help combat that. Uh, but you know, so I so I've been there, but I do wonder on Warrants of the One Tribe when you just look, and it's like, well, every card in your discard pile 
is now all is also in your hand. And it's not just your discard pile, all discard piles. And all discard piles. Yeah, yes. like I said. So, so Warren's the one time for people who don't want to look it up on Oracle or, or who don't just happen to remember. Because, and if you played back then, you remember. It was so it's a rattling stronghold. So it was the you have three provinces, but they're thirteen province strength. You were able to play all cards. You could play cards in discard piles as if they were in your hand. Now, anytime you played a fate card, it was removed from the game. But yeah. it meant that every every single card that your opponent played, you could just turn around and play against them. In addition to being broken, it was also kind of painful to play against because you knew that every every single action you played against the Warrens of the One Tribe player, they were going to be able to play against you. You would, you, you I would actually think about that in build decks like. Like, this has a targeting restriction of, of target your samurai. That means that the, my rattling opponent won't be <laughs> able to play right. it against me if I play it. And in addition to being able to play everything your opponent played, which I think the idea was like you're a scavenger, there were a, a bunch of ways that let you mill your own deck too. Uh, and what was, right. and including the event, uh, New, New Year's Festival. Celebration. Yeah, New Year's yeah. Celebration. Yeah, I. Both players discard their hand and and draw. So like that event, I'll basically just said like cards. draw, draw, yeah, draw ten cards. I well, like draw twenty one. If I had eight in my hand and you had eight in your hand, and then I draw five new ones. I mean, I suppose I had I went from eight. To, I went from an eight cards to twenty one, right? So draw sixteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. Because well, you still everything you didn't actually discard any of the cards in your hand because they were. I mean, they went to your discard pile, but you could play them out of your discard pile. All the stuff yep. that was in your opponent's discard pile was effectively added to your hand, and then all the new <laughs> cards, you, the five you just drew. It was. It was. So yeah, that was. Whereas uh, again, for anyone who was uh, not around at the time, Cole Wall, your province could have two regions attached. And then at the end of the event phase, you'd flip face up all of your provinces that had a region attached. So what the deck was like, Cole 8, right? It had 8 personalities and maybe another 8 yeah. holdings, 24. I don't remember exactly what the... 9 is the number that stuck in my head. 9, but yeah. Nine. But yeah, 8 or 9, right? I think I think there was actually a debate on which was better, 8 or 9, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the debate going on at the time, like, there were people staunchly in the nine camp and people staunchly in the eight camp, and they would never see eye to eye. Uh, yeah, and it and not not only did it it come out with that, but like they made sure to make actual good regions, <laughs> and the box lets you bow a region you control to swap personality locations without yeah. straightening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, without straightening, and then they had they had the one dude where every time someone moved, you did a range attack equal to the number of regions, so it was like. Box swap you, and as you come in, I'm gonna kill you. And if I've Aga Pankud, my guy, he was unique. Uh, Shinjo, shoot, I don't remember his name at this point. I don't remember which one it was. But, uh, uh, Zhuzhen? Uh, if you put a second one of them, and it's like, okay, box swap, range attack, kill those two. <laughs> Your action. <laughs> yeah, and then the support that Colwall had to go with it. Like, they had the two, three that had plus one for every region. And by your second or third turn, you had eight or nine regions, right? Or you had a, you had at least five or six. Uh, yeah, and all you had to do was find the handful of best personalities because the, I mean, you, the deck would flow with right. with over twenty regions in it, and they those were essentially just free. Yeah, I was used to ask like I want I always wanted a coal wall for events, but not broken, please. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, right? Like it, yeah. Yeah, um, I, so so I I appreciate that, right? Because events events and regions so much were the the sort of cards for for much of the history of the game where you'd look easier, at uh, it, and unless yeah. it was amazing, it was just binder fodder. You know, we talked about the early part of the game. Events were amazing in the early part of the game, and every deck you had to play three avoid fates in. Uh, avoid fate being a card that reshuffled the event back into your deck. It didn't stop it from happening. It just delayed it for a little bit. When you think about, like, original L5R expensive power cards, that includes things like Inheritance and Imperial Gift. What, Free Honor and... Was it Free Honor and Tutor for a card, or Free Honor and Draw a card? Uh, Tutor, yeah. Yeah, Uh, Inheritance was, like, like free gold. Five gold. Just here you go. You get five gold this turn. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's not broken at all! No. I mean, Emperor's Peace, just no attacks this turn. There is that anti-honor event that just said for two turns, no honor gaining. It didn't say no honor gaining from buying personalities. It didn't say no honor gaining outside of battle or in battle or whatever. It said no honor gains, two turns. That That's yes. just how swiggy the game was at that point. Yeah. Well, you also had things that were like, give up your ability to win by honor or destroy one of your provinces. Yeah. Well, we were talking about the uh, second day of Thunder. Right. And talk about how swingy the game was. Uh, that was 1997. And by the uh, crane player, the finalist line versus crane and the line won, obviously, by the crane player, Rob Kramer, by a second turn, if I remember correctly, he was down to one or zero provinces. And I want to say zero. And I say that because there was Shinsei Shrine, which was a region that clogged your province. You could it didn't hold dynasty cards, but it gave you free to honor every turn. Uh, might not sound great on paper for anybody not familiar, but it does. It makes your honor go really fast. So, like, he flipped two of those on the first turn. His lion opponent came out and brought in one of those events, and there, <laughs> I I say events plural because there were very mi- there were many of them that said destroy a province. <laughs> and so it was probably like return a fulang or something that says, hey, either you can't win the game or you lose one of your provinces. Either you renounce your ability to win through honor, or you lose a province, and so obviously he lost a province being a crane honor player. Yeah, that's yeah, that's return of Fulang. Yeah, yeah, I think the lion player went turn one, met to go high or something, came over turn two, took a province. The event took one, and Shinsei Shrine ate up the last two. So I, I'm pretty sure that in the second day of Thunder, the crane player started his second turn with zero or maybe one functional province, and you can imagine how that game went after that. Uh, <laughs> And and that's just how swingy the game was. And you know what? Like I said, we built those decks and we play them. The crane deck crushes the lion so like it's not even close. And it's just but it, and the one that mattered. You know, you talk about winning the game that mattered in one of the biggest L5R games that that mattered over the course of L5R's history. The lion player had the superior deck, played, got lucky, whatever, and it it swung in that game, right? And that, that was just when events and regions, specifically events, were a big part of the game. That's how events work. And that actually, to to try to bring it back a little out of nostalgia, maybe bring it back towards the the future, which is not to be now. One of our goals with uh, Onyx Edition was that we were making events playable again. That was one of our goals. Uh, and play. Playtest was giving us feedback saying, hey, you know, this might be too powerful or whatever. But for example, Chrysanthemum Festival, 
Chrysanthemum Festival, for people who might remember back in Gold Edition, was the last time it appeared. No, maybe Diamond? Diamond Edition appeared. Uh, it was an event that just gave both players a province. Obviously really powerful if you were going to be an honor player or dishonor player. That you would want an extra province for very many reasons. And Playtest was telling us that it was really powerful and they felt it made it a little swingy. But we, we felt that, that we over, over playtested, overdeveloped some of the fun out of events and the playability out of events because they were unpredictable when they showed up. You know, they could lead to maybe some unfun experience, like you're having a good game and the Chrysanthemum Festival shows up and the opponent's like, oh, well, great, I just lost the game. You know, I thought that maybe I could come back and can, and get this game under control, but I can't now or whatever, right? And, you know, the, that's, that's a valid response, but if you look at that in the, in the, in the whole and you look, uh, you look at Chrysanthemum Festival just as a big picture type thing, you say, well, it's having a lot of fun. You know, certainly on the other side of that table, the other person, the other player, just said, "Oh, sweet, flip my Chris Fest, nice, right?" And that feeling can go throughout. So, and there were obviously countermeasures. There were very strong anti-event. But what it meant was that the events were going to become a relevant part of the game again. You couldn't just completely ignore them because, you know, as you well know. By the time we got to the end of the game, unless there was one particular event out there that just silver bulleted your deck type or were so powerful in the environment, you didn't play event meta. You didn't care. You know, back back in the Imperial days, you didn't resolve an event until you asked your opponent if they had an avoid fate. <laughs> uh, I still don't. It is still it is so hardwired ingrained in me that when I flip the inheritance or I flip the whatever, I do not proceed with my turn until I say. Uh, you got an avoid faith, uh, to know if they canceled it. Cause every, that's how important events were. And the pendulum swung too far on that side back then, but it definitely had swung too far the other way. And we were working at, at trying to find that, that right balance to where events were fun and exciting and sometimes frustrating, but they gave you an emotional experience and they played more to those Johnnies and the Timmies as we talked about and really just made them relevant to the game again. But uh, hopefully, uh, I mean, we'll see what Fantasy Flight does. I don't know if they're keeping events or what their plans are. So we'll see. But that was one of the goals of Onyx Edition that, again, tagged in the what-is-not-to-be folder, apparently. Yeah, I mean, my, my working assumption is just that Fantasy Flight is going to rebuild the game from the ground up. And if it ends up having resemblances to the current game, bonus and maybe it just doesn't yeah i mean i it's going i would be surprised if it doesn't feel like l5r knowing steve and talking with him and talking about the team that he has on there and there's some l5r fanboys that work there at fantasy flight that are working on the game and so i would be surprised if it does not feel like l5r Beyond that, as you say, they're they're rebuilding the game, so we'll see what sort of resemblance it has to you know to the game that we've known for the past twenty years. I'm hoping that they make a better game, and it's you know I hope that the next twenty years is better than the first twenty years. You know, even if it has doesn't have my name or my company's name on it. You know, I love L5R, I love the people that we've met and the the fans all these years, and I hope that they do an even better job than we did. Okay, let's go to the. 
uh, I guess the morbid portion of the thing. So let's start with the, the broadest possible uh, version of this question. So what happened to L5R? Uh, Ooh, to, yeah. I mean, you know, to the extent that you question. know or are allowed to say, given that you still work for the company. Oh yeah. So <laughs> in case you uh, in case you didn't guess, I've put a I've put a minute or two of thought into into this over the past year plus. You know, a, a lot of things happened. To try to boil it down, there's no way that we're going to be able to boil any answer down into anything that's going to fit on this podcast, right? But if I could focus on a specific aspect that I feel that I failed to notice, and and I think there's 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 sort of two intertwined here uh, that I think were sort of big picture things on the back end that I think could have helped change the trajectory. You know, would they have done it? I don't know. This is going to be a multifaceted thing, as I said. And, and these are just, these are a couple of the problems and they come in from all angles, right? But certainly ones that I've been thinking of. You know, I, I don't feel that, that L5R, unfortunately on the back end, that it, that it got the support that it needed. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not throwing anything under a bus here. Uh, you know, AEG acknowledges and, and agrees with this, right? It, that it didn't, it didn't get the back end of support. You know, I, it, I've told this to a few people, and it, it seems to shock them. So I'll, I'll say it, you know, out loud, uh, in case this isn't the perception that people have. But during Emperor Edition and during Celestial and during that time period, right when L5R was doing really well and and, and sales were going good, and the tournaments, you know, the tournaments were up, 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 and, and, you know, things were looking on the right thing. There was only two and three quarters people working on the game. There was myself that was full-time, and I was doing design. I was also the graphic artist, uh, at least for the cars. I did all the layout and, and all that stuff for it. We didn't even have a separate graphic designer, at least for the cars. They did, I didn't do the packaging. But, uh, uh, but yeah, so, so, so there was me at full time. Uh, there was Nicolas Bonjou, who he was the brand manager, brand lead, whatever. He was full time. Uh, there was Adrian Burton, our, our art director, who was part time. And he did a fantastic job. Always props to Adrian every, every time because the art was always fantastic ever since he took over and before he took over. And we also had Sean Carmen, who was part time. And, and, and did, you know, did a fantastic job for his part, but he was also at that time running the RPG as well as doing the story. So he was really sort of a quarter timer, right? So when you add it all up, that was the end of the L5R team. After that, we were, we were managing volunteers. So I do look back and, and think, you know what? If we had the resources, resources were thrown into L5R definitely by the end. But if we had the resources at the time when it mattered, would we have been able to, to have done a better job, I think absolutely. I think we did. I think we did a really good job with the resources that we had. I'm really proud of of what we did, but at the same time, sad that that we couldn't have done more. Right. Uh, the other thing that I would say is, as me on a personal level, we talked about the Johnny Johnny Timmies and Spikes before. I failed to recognize that I think really starting with that diamond edition and a diamond lotus that we were talking about, you know, with the player design team, uh, and this is not to put them on that. This is just analyzing the situation. The company decided that they were going to hire a lot of spikes to help make their game. 
and they made it really interesting for spikes. I really liked it. You know, when you talk to people who enjoyed Lotus Edition, you'll find that oftentimes they are spikes. And there was a mass exodus of players during Lotus Edition. We all know this. And we lost a lot of Timmies and a lot of Johnnies in there. Uh, the game just started not becoming fun for them. And what I failed to recognize, you know, one thing sort of to keep in mind, I was 26 when I uh, took over. So, and I, you know, it's, it's not like I was this wise age designer. I just, I knew L5R. And, and what I failed to recognize at that time and really, I don't think ever, unfortunately, was able to truly recognize it afterwards was that the game continued to be made by Spikes for Spikes. And the people that we listened to were heavily Spikes and our playtesters were Spikes and the people left in the online community and that talked to us and everything was Spikes. Um, and it created this echo chamber that I did not work hard enough to get out of. And I didn't have the design team in the, and I didn't have the L5R team work hard enough to try to get out of and make sure that the... Uh, we always talked about how you know the... The online community is important, but they are also just the voices that we hear the most. And there's lots of voices out there that we don't hear just because it's much more difficult to hear, you know, people who aren't, aren't invested enough to be on the online community, right? Mm -hmm. But what I, what I think the ultimate, one of the things that happened with that is we, we were not, our ears were not open enough to the Johnnies and the Timmies and our brains, uh, were not open enough to recognize that the, that the game slowly got taken over by spikes and it was by spikes for spikes. And I think it became a really fun game and a good game for spikes. But I, I just think the game kept losing little by little, kept getting chipped away sometimes with big chips of the enjoyment for the Johnnies and the Timmies out there. So, you know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that we can look at and go wrong, right? I tend to be a person where I look at the things where I think I could have done better or where I failed to recognize. And I think, you know, I, I failed to recognize that we did need more resources. You know, I didn't call out for more resources at the time. Like, I, w I was able to handle that load and, and keep going, but it, w but it was a mistake. I definitely should have said, hey, you know what, the L5R team needs more than this. Um, and I wish I, you know, I wish I'd spent more time, you know, maybe because... Maybe because I was doing two jobs in the graphic design and wasn't asking for resources for to take that off my plate, I didn't have the time. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But either way, you know, I definitely failed to to properly recognize that this trend, and I, I really wish that I had. And uh, you know, so I, I think that those that those were probably two of the bigger things on the back end. You know, everybody's gonna have their opinion of what went wrong. And whatnot, but I'm willing to guess that most of your listeners are probably not, you know, they haven't heard like the back end and maybe somebody from the inside with what's been going through his brain. And so, you know, that might be a perspective that they haven't, they haven't heard yet. So, so there you go. Those, those would be, pro those are the two big ones that, that have rolled around my brain for the last year, year plus now. Man, I can't believe it's been over a year now. Yeah. yeah. Well, I ask you a, a question. I asked if you listen to the one with Fred, I asked him something similar, which is that sitting here from the outside, there's a lot of management churn 
after Nico left, there was a lot of churn at the brand manager position. And right. it seemed like there were a number of ways. You can't really see it as much with the car design, but in like the the the, the story design and the and the way the events were were handled, you you see what would feel like some you know sharp turns depending on what you know the incoming brand manager thinks compared to what the outgoing brand manager thought. It, how much uh, of an impact do you think that that had on the game as a game and or the game as a a product it definitely had an impact uh there's no doubt about that dave Latterroot, who is uh the final brand lead there before before the game was sold off i think he would have been a fantastic lead i am really that's again one of my disappointments is that he never really had the opportunity uh, and the time to shine. Um, you know, a- after Nikolas left, um, you know, we, we made some hiring decisions. Uh, you know, they, I, I won't go into details. They, they, we'll just say they didn't work out though, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, we, we did go with Dave Latterroot to, to lead at the end. And, and you saw the instant he, it was within like a couple weeks that he took over that he started engaging with the players on just a different level. And it, it's, it's probably clear in my mind, because I was actively looking at this, right? But if you look at, what would that be, spring 2015 or so, and you saw the engagement around that Kotai season, uh, the engagement that, that Dave was bringing, what we were looking to do moving forward and how he was handling it, you could just tell he got it. He understood. And... Uh, I, you know, if he had, if he had been hired, say, a few years before when maybe, you know, the, the game was in a, was in a better spot and when he could have thrived better, uh, I would have loved to have seen him stretch his creative muscles. Uh, yeah, cause there's, cause there's no doubt that there is definitely some tumultuous, uh, tumultuous times in between there. And, and that the, there were some hiring mistakes and whatnot, and and it, it unfortunately didn't work out. And and yeah, it def, it definitely did have an impact. Yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, that's uh, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, I think you're right. It, it, it did have it, it did have an impact, and I I just wish that uh, I wish that Dave had been able to have some more time. Because I think I think there could have been some amazing stuff done uh, under his leadership. It is what it is now, though, right? Hindsight 2020 and all that. It is what it is. It's all in the the past. Yeah, and like I said, it's one of those things that seems less pressing. Uh, I mean, especially right. You, you, you know, it was your job for me. It's you know, it was an involved hobby, but it was still a, a right. hobby. So yeah, what what right after it was sold seems like really pressing pressing questions of like what was going on with sales, what was going on with this, with that's like, eh. I mean, it's interesting, but. Hard to hard to maintain a, a laser focus on that for uh It is. And yeah, and I mean just you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of L five R stuff. You know, in the immediate aftermath there is this fan base push to to keep it going, which which went for a little while, but you know, enthusiasm drops and and it and is difficult to keep it going, right? So here we are a year plus now. And there's, you know, there's not a whole lot that I imagine that goes on in your life with the letters L5R uh, and, <laughs> and number. 
but you know, with uh, I imagine that's becoming a significantly less impactful part of your life than it was, say, three years ago. We're in sort of a wait and see moment, waiting for the next thing to come out, right? So, so certainly, what seemed pressing and everything needed to be answered at the time, right after in the immediate aftermath, you know, with with some time for the dust to settle and looking back on it, you know, priorities change and whatnot. I won't hide it. It took me a little bit of time, like afterwards, uh, where I, <laughs> I, I, I like to describe it. And this is not in any way, uh, trying to pretend, it, but it, as if I have the same thing, but there's a little bit of the PTSD towards L5R, uh, <laughs> uh for me. And I, I in no way want to try to compare myself, right, to, to what people with actual PTSD have to go through. I have some friends and it's, it's debilitating. But there certainly was, you know, in the immediate aftermath and for quite a bit of period of time where, where for L5R for me, cause it, it, it was, I mean, not only was it a hobby of my job, but I mean, it was, it was very much my life. Uh, you know, uh, as I said, I was doing multiple roles or whatever, right? So, you know, 50, 60 hour weeks was where my week started. Uh, and basically, uh, what the, and then, you know, busy weeks, especially when I was doing the Oracle, you know, 80, 80, 90 hour weeks were, were sort of the norm when you got it in. All the Oracle scanning I was doing and whatnot, since I did hand scan every single one of those cards up until <laughs> Celestial Edition. Yeah, people might not know this. The Oracle of the Void up until Celestial Edition when we had the digital versions, I hand scanned every single card you see in the Oracle. Hand scan went into Photoshop, cut, you know, Photoshop to, to cut out the images you see, saved them in big files. And then uploaded those and did it myself, right? Uh, so the point being that it was a very big and large part of my life. Uh, hand scan and then also helped do some of the programming and stuff on it. But, but. And here I was thinking it took a long time just to read everything in the Oracle. Whew, yeah, it, it was a three year, like I said, it's a three year project and that was, that was not exaggeration. But point point being of all this, right? There was a very big aspect of my life, and then suddenly overnight it was almost gone or whatever. And and, and you know you were very tapped into the online community, and there is, you know, there is definitely a lot of angst and frustrations and whatnot in the online community directed towards AEG, which is a very personal part of my life, and towards me specifically, which is also a very personal part of my life. <laughs> I hear that that Brian Reese guy hates your clan and is out to destroy them. <laughs> yeah, right. But, uh, you know, so there, yeah, there was a little bit of uh, time period where I had to get some distance from it. But now, you know, I can look back and you, you remember the happy stuff and you remember the stuff that you're fond about and, and the other stuff sort of starts to fade. And it kind of gets back to where this started, right? Where, uh, where you're saying stuff that seemed pressing or, you know, that had to be done. And in the aftermath, here we are a year plus later and you're like, yeah, you know what? Maybe this stuff isn't, yeah. Maybe these questions don't have the relevance now that they had then or that, that we felt did then or whatever. And, and yeah, I, I look back now and I'm like, hmm, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. I mean, for anything other than L5R, they would have just been, complete non-issues instantaneously right yeah. <laughs> you know if you were yeah. looked at it it'd be like okay like oh, oh they're not making any more expansions for this board game i have eh. I, <laughs> yeah and uh and, and real quick because i i don't want to be that guy in the oracle i i pointed out all the stuff that i did 
Brooke Cunningham manually rewrote the cards to update them to the uh, Emperor Edition wording originally, and then the Ivory Edition wording. And Don Isley programmed that whole thing as a volunteer. So, I mean, the, so that was all. I want to make sure everybody gets their uh, credit due. We had some other volunteers help, but uh, but but Brooke and Don were huge. They put in thousands of hours into that project. Sorry, I know you didn't even ask about the Oracle, but I brought up and how it related into my world, and I want to make sure that that they get their proper credits because uh, the project only existed because of them. Even in the world of CCGs or, or something, it's it was hard for L5R to have a an ongoing presence. I think for for two reasons. One is that immediately along with the sale of the brand. People knew it was going to come back, so right. you'd be trying to fan sustain a game that is kind of going to be, uh, in some sense, obsoleted. You know, in in August of of next year, makes the task even more difficult, right? Yeah, well, you just it doesn't give you the same sort of motivation. And if you are going to continue it on, a a big part of L5R is the ongoing story aspect of it. So it's it right. makes it even harder to have it just carry on with the static pool. I mean, right, like any any collectible or living or, or whatever card game, as as silly as some people may think it is, the whole evolving aspect of it is a, a really big part of it. There's a reason why when, when, you know, when most CCGs stop, they stop. But when you look at, you know, okay, what what of ones that have had, had in some ha- sense had some ongoing things? I think about the the Decipher Star Trek and, and Star Wars. You know, they... Right. They have, I don't remember what it's called for Star Wars, but for Star Trek, it's the continuing committee, committee, and they release fan expansions, and but they also have an existing IP world out there to just draw on. They can just go on to the latest movie or the latest show and right come up with stuff with that or mine existing material for. They don't have to create the story. Yeah, I mean right. you can you can create story for L5R, but. Now you're adding yet another burden, and is your story going to be satisfactory? I, I don't know. I, and there is—is is it still—is it ongoing right now? There, there is or was a another winter court. I'm not sure how that went. I mean, I, I had to just not do the last official winter court because it was just too much. <laughs> yeah. But right, right. Much, much less a an unofficial winter court. But uh, I don't know. And I hear my dragon delegation acquitted itself so well in Winter Court 4 too. <laughs> you, you mentioned the Star Wars, the old Decipher game from the 90s. At one of the last Kotai's that I went to, uh, I think it was spring of 2015, might have been 2014. I saw people there playing Star Wars. You know, there's about eight of them. It was up in Portland, Oregon. And it was a Saturday, and apparently on Saturdays or once a month or whatever their schedule is, they get together and play Star Wars Decipher, you know, the game that went out of print back in the 90s. But, uh, you know, as you say, they've got they don't have to deal with the story material. So it's a lot easier. And uh, there isn't a Star Wars Decipher coming out again. There's been other Star Wars games, but they, you know, they play differently. And, and it's in L5R. It's much more difficult when you have this extra to go in. And to convince people, like, okay, hey, we need dedicated fan designers, we need dedicated fan playtest teams, theoretically, or at least 
a couple. Uh, we need a dedicated uh, story people to write fanfic. And this is all going to be a, potentially irrelevant because Fantasy Flight is going to re, we already know they're going to reboot, reboot the series at Gen Con 2017. So this is just a stem, temporary gap, gap stop, right? Stop gap. Stop gap. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I put stop measure and uh, stop gap together and somehow I know gap stop. Uh, it's a gap uh, measure. Gap measure. There I go. <laughs> I did it again while I was explaining it. I miss, I miss, I put gap, gap measure and stuff, whatever. Oh no! I just said that. I you didn't say that. You 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 didn't say gap measure. I just said gap oh, okay. measure as an example yeah. of another way you could portmanteau that would that, sound yeah. weird. I'm good at fumbling that stuff sometimes. But but point being, right? It, it's much more difficult when uh, when you have the fan when you know you have the fantasy flight stuff coming out, and this is just going to be a temporary thing. Now, if you know, cross fingers, it doesn't happen. But if the fantasy flight thing comes out and it doesn't stick, whatever something or whatever happens, then maybe. You might see some some more dedicated fan stuff, but it, it's difficult when you know that a professional company that does a good job and does this a lot is coming out with their stuff, right? So, yeah. Frankly, after a few months, my main uh, L5R activity has been um, well sorting my cards because it turns out that once you guys finally stopped releasing cards, I finally started to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> With uh, the, the, yeah. the mess here, well, I, I mean, I, I did something that I had, had wanted to do, which was I got, I, I got everything, bindered. I now just, uh, literally within the last couple of weeks, I now have a, a final, like, we're not, not final, hopefully, but like a complete. This is what I don't have list. Oh, okay, <laughs> awesome. That's that the sort first of step. thing. Yes, yes. But see, but the problem will go away just as soon as you finish collecting those. As soon as you finish collecting, it is, it is done. <laughs> the thing is, I'm not sure how much I'm going to do because I, I, I don't want to go. I, I could make progress on it by going on eBay and just buying cards. I don't want to do that. I want to sort of whatever further progress I make on, I, I kind of want to make by trading or I don't know what. And there are some that I, I have no intention of of ever get like there are look d designer wins or some of the deciding moment iterations there weren't really that many of them out there i suspect that it would be just far more than it's worth to me to to get them just a stick in a binder it'd be like and now it's complete yeah for the foil lion sword or at least say the deciding moments or whatever the designer wins obviously being possibly the marquee card right yeah you know, you gotta be dedicated and you, you know, you have to be willing to be laying down hundreds, if not thousands of dollars in order to complete that stuff, right? Not for any individual one card, but yeah. I imagine the designer win and foil lion swords and then they still go for hundreds of dollars would be my guess. It, yeah, well, the, the foil lion sword also isn't anything different, right? Yeah. It's the same card, just As in foil and stolen. I, <laughs> right. I, <laughs> Well, probably not stolen. Probably the ones that are the ones that are out there. I'm pretty sure are basically just the ones that got into AEG's employees' hands before the whole stack was was gone. Uh, uh, right. So I, I I the ones that are out there are good. You know, I I think basically just the whole batch of them, outside of the few that leaked out ahead of time 
or leaked out in the various ways that they did. I think that basically just the whole batch of them's gone. If they were stolen or whatever, I would have expected to see some sort of surfacing. You know, probably closer to when the game was in print. <laughs> you know, at some point, you know, that happened back in 2002, 3, 1, whatever that was. Yeah, I would have expected those to start surfacing between then and now. From some sort of, I don't know, story collector perspective thing, I guess the important thing, the quote-unquote important thing, because <laughs> yeah. let's face it, none of this is actually important, <laughs> it would be to have all the different, like, let's have the different art and the different flavor text and such that go with uh, the different cards. I mean, because some of them, does it really matter if you have a, a reprint of the exact same cards? I know I'm, I know I have not gone as far as some people who are, Uber completists about it would you know you're like oh you want to have every time the thing was starter deck reprinted <laughs> there's probably some way to tell but is is very difficult to to tell now the problem here is because you guys um, apparently you guys were slacking off when you did the oracle oh what are we slacking off about you don't have starter deck reprints in it we don't yeah so unfortunately that was I do. <laughs> I said I scanned every card. I meant I scanned every card. <laughs> I have the starter deck reprint images and stuff ready to go. Yo, know, it, it was a lot of work to program that uh, <laughs> on a purely volunteer basis just to program the Oracle. And it was going to release in waves. And so once it got launched, I think reality and life sort of set in and it just... You know, the people who are working on it, you know, uh, Don needed a, a bit of break from programming. Completely understandable. Brooke, he's, he's just a, he's a, he's a machine. He's like, what's next? But, uh, you know, he needed a break from programming. So unfortunately we never got back to the programming in the reprints. And who knows? I mean, Don's, uh, Don might still do that. Uh, and if he does, I've got the images all ready to go. <laughs> um, cause, you know, you, Going through the Oracle did hit that nostalgia button really hard for me. And so I did become that gross collector that you're talking about. In binders, I, I don't just have the starter deck reprints of everything, uh, which I do. <laughs> but I didn't stop there. Because did you know that, that there was different typographical printings in some of the early stuff? Where in some of the Anvil Despair sets was one of the worst where the flavor text on this version of Kachiko was boldface, but on that version of Kachiko was not boldface. You better believe I have one copy of each sitting in a binder. <laughs> I know that there were different iterations of the same card for pre-Imperial, and oh, significant yeah. enough that I actually had those. I, those I actually have marked out as separate cards for my purposes, but no, I, I am not distinguishing between different typographical variations of cards as someone who decided and to be fair i was the lead designer at that time so i had access to resources that made it easier for me than it would for most people but anybody who's thinking about going down that road just know it is a dark deep road it's got to be one that you want to go down the collective everything right the everything everything i'm, I'm embarrassed to say one of the most difficult parts was undermine just before I knew much about graphic design, uh, did you know that the glory of the empire 
uh, reprints. When they were reprinted in the in the let's say glorious, that would have I, been. I, no, 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 stop. So, okay, I don't see. Here's the thing. I don't want to hear this because I, <laughs> but no, no, because yeah. I, I made a. I'm gonna I'm gonna say an executive decision. So I when I say I'm not doing the starter deck reprints, I actually have up through a certain point. I have two boxes. <laughs> okay, I won't here. tell you how deep the dark. And I, I have two boxes, and they are they are all starter deck reprints because for the old sets it's very easy to it's very easy to tell that they're starter deck reprints because the they have the very visible borders. Yeah. Right. And part of the reason I have those is because that is back when sometimes starter deck reprints were actually different. Yes. The easiest thing, different flavor text. But as I mentioned, the different borders. like the Oracle doesn't get into that. And so I kind of said, this is I'm going to I'm going to keep I'm going to keep a play set of each of those. But I'm right. not I'm just not going through them and figuring out which ones are actually different. But after yeah. a certain point, and it might be like gold that that really stops happening generally yeah, a, yeah there are a few times when there were reprints that something was it was reprinted with an mrp like oh it's the koto that actually has the unique keyword on it kind of right. thing yeah yeah but like something like glory of the empire i, I yeah <laughs> <laughs> you don't want the version that has this bug and has that bug because <laughs> yeah we get down to pretty pretty small differences right oh samurai dish I won't go deep into it, but Samurai Edition, there's four different versions of, of Copper Mine from Samurai Edition that printed out, that, that came out over the course of that arc. <laughs> that if, if you're the collector, you know, you're, you're looking at, you're looking at card numbers and the year it was printed, the legal text on the bottom in order to find the differences. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's how deep this, this rabbit hole goes. Yeah. Well, it, it used to be, easier to tell because the reprints even even once the border is going away you could easily tell that something was a starter deck reprint because it it didn't have the numbering yeah. and it it like or it was marked as being from the set that the reprint was in it had the fix symbol at a certain point we learned this and we put the I learned this personally and I all the starter deck reprints would have the fix symbol or whatever or there would be zero difference there was two different ways that I handled it is that what you guys were doing at the end? Like it would just be a it straight the, up reprint? Like it would even have the original set name and number on it? That was throughout much of Celestial Edition, that was the case. Uh, and then that got reversed at some point, Emperor. I knew this at one point, I don't. Uh, or maybe it got redone in Ivory, I don't remember. But at some point in there, all the reprints went back to, it's got a fix symbol, no, I'm pretty sure if I remember right, no card numbers, just a fixed symbol and the set that it's being printed in. So that was the other big thing is for a long, the set that it was being printed in was not updated, right? So the four, four copper mines from Samurai Edition, they all say Samurai in the bottom left corner, but they were printed in four different expansions. You know, one of those being Samurai, one being Samurai Bonsai, and then, and then the two, the two, uh, sets in the game, in that, arc where uh lion had stronghold yeah i guess i guess that you guys made it easy at the end by just not not having uh starter decks yeah uh, yeah expansions, but yeah and then certainly by the end that made easy so at some point yeah we switched over to where it was is all fixed okay so so remember if you ever if you ever see me and brian selling a a complete l5r set collection his is more complete than mine but you should still <laughs> bid more for mine i'm just saying <laughs> 
now back to those uh, podcast users that have fast forward through that last segment. Yeah, I was gonna have to say like the other. That's that's really rabbit holy that we just did there, huh? Yeah. So for the twelve yeah. listeners still there. Okay, so yes, here, come on, give give them a reward. Spill some secret. I I asked. Yeah, yeah come on. I, Fred completely chumped out on me. Like, tell, come up with some something. Over the course of the like of your you working with L5R, where where a you know AEG collectively, which is really like some person at AEG, like like some decision was made about the game that drove you crazy. Oh gosh, um, that drove me crazy. Yeah, um, like just like just just name the person who made it and just throw them under the bus. <laughs> I'm not throwing anyone under a bus. I'll throw myself under a bus. But I won't. I won't throw anybody else. Uh, but some a decision that just drove me crazy. Well, it's harder if you're limiting yourself to your own decisions. I mean, <laughs> well, I, I like I could talk about decisions that 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 bug the heck out of me. That you know, you know. So I I'd already touched on this a little bit, uh, a bit. But you know, one of the things that frustrated me just the most, and I don't think I ever properly put it into context was was that resource thing you know i continued to see things that i i would be frustrated with what was going on and i would be frustrated with players frustrations but also understand that players frustrations you know one that came from or whatever right right and i it would just be a frustrating situation when we didn't have the resources to work on the game that i wish we did i really wish i could have seen what emperor edition would have been like if we'd been able to have better resources, you know, whether it was professional playtest teams, our playtest teams did an amazing job. They were volunteers. Uh, the design team was mostly volunteer, right? They did an amazing job. But there's just no doubt that as soon as you're giving someone a paycheck and you can say, okay, you know what? We're going to go sit in the exact same room and we're going to play through this game together. That the feedback, the quality of feedback that you get is just on another level. And, you know, so I, I, I can't help but wonder if, if L5R had had the resources that I wish that it had, uh, maybe even the resources that it had by the end, what Emperor Edition would have, would have been like. I do think that there was a lot of potential there and I think we did well with some and then we obviously, uh, we obviously stumbled on other parts. You know, if we'd had the resources, I mean, I'm sure, you know, I don't know what Fred's frustration is, but I'll express a frustration for Fred. I wish that L5R had had the resources for a, a, a paid story team. Again, the story team did a fantastic job. But just like anything else, you know, when you're doing volunteer, you just get a, a new level as soon as a paycheck is attached to that. And so no matter how fantastic a job the story team did, AEG was failing to properly be able to give the resources to that, right? So, you know, that would, that would probably be my big overarching, and that, that manifested itself in many different ways throughout the year. So the thing is like, oh, that bothered me. It's like, well, that sort of got tied back to, I wish that we'd had more resources for this, and this bothered me. And they're like, oh, I wish we'd tied back to more resources for that. Like, you know, like, Maybe people who might not have been familiar with the numbers that now know we had less than three full timers working on the on the game. You know, maybe maybe you could understand. You know, we often, often, often got the comparison to Magic. 
and you look like, <laughs> Magic's budget to to run their game and to do it like their budget, not their sales numbers, but their, their, their budget budget's to probably make higher their than game, your sales. Oh, it dwar- I'm sure it dwarfs our sales. It's it, it. I mean, their budget to make their game was several, several, several times larger than our total sales. Right? You know, we we talk about frustrations, but you know, one thing I will end end this with is I am I am incredibly proud of both the job that. AEG has done and L5R has done, but specifically all of the volunteers and people who've worked on L5R over the years have done. When you look back and you look at just how much was done on sales numbers that, that there's just no way that, you know, that, that the sales, like L5R always looked, I think, a lot bigger than what it might have actually been because of these people's dedication and passion and love and how Fans and volunteers and everyone came together and put in their heart and their soul, right? The blood, sweat, and tears. And and there's just no doubt that you saw that. And I think it might have been a bit more abstract, but you felt that in the community too, right? There's We've talked about in the L5R community about how it's just different from any other L5R community uh, <laughs> than any other community the L5R one is. At least anyone that I've experienced is just not part of the norm. You meet people and you engage with them and interact with them and come to know them on a completely different level. There are very few people that are in my life personally uh, right now today that I can't trace to L5R in some way or another. That showed constantly throughout the product in, you know, my frustrations or frustrations that other people had, frustrations the fans had with me, whatever, like, it all came from a place of love and passion and wanting to just do the best L5R that you can. And it, and for 20 years, we made the impossible happen. And I spent a lot of time analyzing and being frustrated about this and that. But in the end, like, it's hard to look back on it with anything but just pride over what this group of people came together and accomplished. And, you know, pe- people who, who didn't go to get, you know, d- didn't come because they wanted to work in the gaming industry and this was their leg in, right? Like, no, like very few people join playtest as an idea of this is how they now get into the gaming industry to get some stuff on their resume. You know, it, it, it was mostly just passion and love and dedication. So, you know, that, that's probably my really big, takeaway uh at the end of all this looking back so there you go so there's my slightly sappier but more <laughs> but you know happier and just in honestly true feelings of what i have uh in, in the game and in my in my memory of it okay well rather than ending on that i have a couple more uh follow-ups so one uh, i thought of before and then the other one uh would something you said sparked uh, my recollection. So you talked about the start of Emperor Edition in there and, and the the game in Emperor Edition. Now, my thoughts always were that, that Forgotten Legacy was overpowered, that it was made overpowered for purposes of making sure that the set sold enough, and that, that then this made it awkward to then do the Emperor Edition launch because you kind of had this, you kind of went into it 
with these overpowered cards. So I, I didn't know if you had any thoughts on that. And then I have a very specific follow-up, which is I, I talked to you on the show after the Eternity Bugs were, were slapped on those Forgotten Legacy cards, and you you insisted to me that it was that was that's for the players so they could get more out of their cards and I remain convinced to say that that's a, a hogwash and that they were put on there for purposes of making sure that people had as much incentive as possible to buy Forgotten Legacy. Any thoughts on any of that? So I, yeah, I think I think there's truth to that. I'm not quite sure that it's it's necessarily as devious or whatever as it might sound like on paper. Not that you made it sound that way, but you know, I think if you look at that on paper, it's like. Oh, sales hungry, da 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 da. You know, there's there's no doubt that every product that we made, Forgotten Legacy, no exception, when we were making it, the question asked, you know, was asked, was it fun? That was the first question. Second question is, will it will sell? Will it sell? You know, in the case of Forgotten Legacy and direct to player sets, which you know, no surprise when you don't go through a distributor, they are more profitable for the manufacturer, the distributor or the retailer, right? When you go direct to the players. Uh, they're more profitable. So there was always more emphasis to make sure that those were not duds, right? In the case of Forgotten Legacy, there's no doubt that the pendulum swung too far. And those attorney bugs obviously came and, uh, and bit us in the butt when we decided to change the power level of the game. You know, was it short-sighted at the, at the time to put the attorney bugs on there? Yeah, I mean... It, it might have been a little bit short-sighted. Uh, you know, we we did have a plan of where we wanted to go. It's not like our plan ended at Emperor Edition. But partway through Emperor Edition, we had to adjust as time does happen. And then now those attorney bugs became a problem. In all honesty, I I don't think that, that the, there was ever the idea that the attorney bugs were... You know, people have different things. So maybe someone in, in the sales... You know, whoever was in marketing, maybe Z or somebody else, thought that if you put the attorney bug on there, we'll sell more. I never thought that come Ivory Edition, people were going to be like, oh, we want these old powerful promos and we ha- we can only get them here. So we're going to go and spend 100 bucks or 75 bucks or whatever you can get a Forgotten Legacy for at that point in order to buy it. The plan at the time and, and what we wound up doing right was uh we knew that when that when those attorney bugs came out this was now going to be a product that was two to three years old somewhere in there and people weren't going to want to go buy it for just additional so we were going to be releasing it in promos we we wound up doing that alternate art promo pack which pack which also had the mrps in it which handy two birds with one stone there and then it was going to be used as some sort of promotional distribution method but no, the, I mean, my honest, you know, honest intentions here was that when people bought the Forgotten Legacy, that some of the cards were going to last even even longer than than anticipated, because because uh, that was certainly always one of the things that was attacked about uh well about CCGs in general, but certainly not Magic CCGs, L5R being a massive example of that. That your card values just dropped as soon as you know, just dropped to to next to nothing. Uh, as soon as they rotated out of legality. And so we wanted to make this an even better value. So even if some of this product was dropping out, you knew that some of it and some of the really exciting stuff was going to be, was going to be holding on, on for the future. Yeah. And I never really had an idea that it was going to somehow increase sales. 
Uh, I mean, I suppose we we could have sold the promo packs. I mean, I suppose you could argue that by doing the promo pack, that is artificially sort of tying Forgotten Legacy to the sale of whatever you were trying to do at that time that you were doing the promotion. But, you know, we, we always had the plan that, uh, uh, or at least I always had my hand. I'm pretty sure it was the plan. I'd have to go back and look. But that these were going to be released in a secondary form and widely available two to three years in the future when the initial pack had stopped being printed and was hard to find at that point. So, sorry sorry to dash your theory. Maybe talk to someone in sales and maybe like, nah, the whole time it was about, you know, getting an extra dollar. Uh, <laughs> Funny thing, my collection, I do not actually have the, the reprints of the, the Forgotten Legacy with the MRP text because I didn't get them at the time because I... Like, I didn't need them. I had the original cards, and I just wasn't going to... That's funny. ...spend for them. But, uh... (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's kind of... I don't want to detour off this, but it's it's sort of interesting sometimes to think back about, like, what decisions, you know, one has made at at different points in time when finances were different things about what seemed important and, and what doesn't and sometimes well, it's like kids. why did i buy that <laughs> yeah sometimes it's like oh how crazy was i not to just spend like the extra 10 bucks for this right i don't know yeah i was just talking to somebody who passed up on a designer wins for 50 bucks one time or something like that <laughs> and like yeah yeah but if that's one that you want 50 bucks a good deal i'm aiming at that being the fine this being the the final thing although you know god only knows what spinoffs there might be so Two sides of it. If you can think of one example where you, like, this is interaction with you and the community, I guess. Like, one place where you guys had done something, and, and you thought that it was a good idea, and then it, it came out, and the community went, well, that sucks, Brian. And then, you know, you listen to what Bale said, and we're like, oh, you know what? You, that, that, you guys are kind of right. We didn't think about that. We should have done differently. That's one thing. And then, so where the community was, you know, helpfully providing feedback. Mm-hmm. And then some other circumstance where, like, the community hated something and you just could not convince them that it really was good and just wanted to reach through your your screens and <laughs> your screen and choke us. Maybe me, personally. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple examples for you. Okay. So to take the questions in reverse order, there was a time during Celestial Edition where... As somebody who I did identify as a Scorpion player, even though I was always, always given credit as a Phoenix player, you know, that I felt Scorpion was better than maybe the Kotai results, which the Haddam doing poorly were showing. Uh, and the players were certainly frustrated, and so I thought, okay, you know what, I think I can build a good Scorpion deck. So I built a Scorpion deck, tested it, tweaked, test, tweaked, test, tweaked, whatever. Got to what I thought was a really good, and if I was a player, I wasn't, obviously at this time, I was the designer. Uh, but if I was a player, I thought, hey, I could, I would take this to a Kotai. I think this is good. Alright, Scorpion players, here we go. Got you covered. It's a nice, good Dishonor control deck. Put it out there. It was really fun. One of my favorite fun deck. One of my favorite decks of Celestial Edition. It was a Scorpion Dishonor control deck that dealt with Onis and all this. It was sort of wacky, but it worked. So I put it on there. I put it on the Scorpion forums and said, "Hey, you know, I've had some. I've had success with this." And I didn't just put it up there. I really, really wanted to help. The players. I felt I I could feel their struggle, and as someone who had been there before, I I empathized with it. So I spent a, not only did I spend a lot of time making the deck and testing and tweaking or whatever and getting it up there, but I then put a deck analysis as well as how to handle the various decks in in the environment. 
it was a long post. And so I put it out there here and going like, all right, now I'm going to involve and get engaged with some discussion and, you know, can't wait. Well, the feedback was Scorpion players were at that point were way too entrenched. It, let me rephrase this because that's not fair. The, the Scorpion players who happened to be on the forums at that particular time uh, were way too entrenched in the idea that Scorpion players or the Scorpion deck was no good. And so not only did they completely reject my idea of this deck and they just, they just went down and they were just eviscerating it. Oh, it's not going to work. It's not as bad. Blah, blah, blah. Very, very little positivity came out of that. They actually, they started their own thread to mock me and they call, yeah, they called it the Brian Reese thread or whatever. And then they just started writing things like, you know, this may not be a fact, but Brian Reese says it is, therefore it is, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not at all what I wanted, right? I'm trying to help here. And I'm like, okay, I think this is good. Am I crazy? Am I delusional? I want to see, I want to at least show to myself that this is good, if not. So we had a Kotai coming up soon, and I want to, and it was the biggest Kotai in North America. It wasn't the biggest in the world. It was, you know, second or third or biggest in the world. There was a France and a Spain. I'm sure that were bigger, right? But I go to the Kotai, and I go 7-0. and uh, Normally when I go and I played in tournaments, every single round, I offered a concession, or I offered people product. And if they took the product, then we play out the game, and whoever won, won. Uh, right? So it, it was really lucky to be paired up against me. In this particular case, I just went the second route because I was trying to see if I was really going to be able to help out the Scorpion community here and, and find them a deck. It's like, okay, they're not listening to paper. Maybe maybe they'll listen to results. So I actually go to the tournament. Every round, I'm like, you know, I'm not conceding this round, but here you go. I can't remember what I handed out that, that tournament, but I think it was rare sets or maybe foil sets or something, right? It was something cool. And I went 7-0, and then I dropped out. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to take somebody's spot in the finals. I'm not winning the Kotai. That's not my goal. But hopefully, 7-0, and I can go back and report that. So I went back and reported, and the same people, they just came back and, and, and just kept being negative. So if we're talking about the frustrations, that was definitely one of my frustrations. And not only was I 7-0, and but the person I played in the last round was another Scorpion Dishonor player, Daruk. Uh, Ozaiden, for anybody who knows the name. And if I remember right, he went on... No, he didn't win that tournament, but he went on to do very well because he did make it into the limbs and went on and did well. Um, right, But I came back and I, and I said, and there's negativity, so that was quite a bit of frustration that I'm just like, oh my gosh, just guys, instead of sitting here and fighting, I wrote out what I should do. Like, I wrote out how you play your first four turns because that was really essential to the deck. My goodness, just build the deck and, and test it and, and work on it and stuff. There's something there. And I couldn't get anybody to listen to me. So that was certainly a frustration at that point. Uh, your, your second question of when, uh, when players voiced their frustration, and I looked at it and said, huh, yeah. Uh, I think probably my best example of that would have been Ivory Edition. As people uh, know, in Ivory Edition, we, we got rid of the gold splitting. Or sorry, we introduced gold splitting. We got rid of that, which... Still, I will stick to, I convinced was the right move. It may not have been implemented perfectly. I, I will fully concede that, but absolutely it was the right move. Going back and playing the old way, it is, 
gold splitting, uh, convinced was the right move. But what players, but players did have frustration. One, and some of the frustrations was the difference in economic draws between one to the next. And that was something specifically how the clan holdings integrated into that, that we definitely failed to recognize when we launched at Ivory Edition. And, uh, when it came out and the players, you know, they started, they started seeing that and they started calling us out on that. And they were right to do so. And, you know, as, as many people picked up in 20 festivals, the clan holdings that were in there were not dual bugged. They were single bugged. And the, the clan holdings that just produced free money were not going to actually be around in Onyx Edition as an outcome of that and what, and the lessons that we learned there in Ivory. We were going to have new clan holdings. They were going to be specific and do things based on the clan that you were. And there were lots of different ideas thrown around on what they should be, right? Um, they could even be economic ones. So here's an example. You could have copper mine or you could have iron mine or whatever. And it's that three production is just for that clan's personality, right? So produce two gold or three for a crab person or, or dragon or what have you, right? They're suddenly completely different cards because they didn't give you five or even six gold on turn two instead of four. And that, you know, that five gold that you got instead of, you know, four turning to eight on turn two, that five parlayed to ten. And now you've got this, you know, this large economic advantage that is probably going to put two extra bodies on the board for you over the course of the game, maybe three. Uh, and that's just that's just a very difficult thing to overcome in a game like Legend of the Five Rings. So in Onyx Edition, that was the plan to move forward. Uh, we were not going to have the, the clan holdings back, and that was uh, not, in, not in the form that we were so familiar with. And that was a direct result of us not properly figure out how they're going to integrate into the new gold splitting system and the players totally called us out on that and we're right to do so so okay well luckily for me that did not prompt any immediate follow-ups on uh on my part and also luckily for me you already did your uh your wrap-up statement i just made you ask your questions after it <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah so uh <laughs> so i guess we'll uh if we will all collectively uh, look forward to uh, the new Legend of the Five Rings at, at Gen Con next year, and I personally will be uh, will we'll be looking on Kickstarter for uh, Thunderstone XL or I don't know the next generation or whatever you guys are calling it. <laughs> Let's just go with that. That's not taken, right? The next generation, <laughs> Thunderstone, the next generation. That, that or- wouldn't sound terrible. <laughs> I actually liked Thunderstone Advance. That's the sort of, I don't know, I know some people just want you to say, like, second edition. But I, I thought that that worked. But I, I don't know off the top of my head, having a Thunderstone even more advanced, or not, <laughs> probably not a good name to go with. Yeah, Thunderstone I'll, I'll, Ultimate. I'll throw that. I'll uh, throw more advanceder out there. <laughs> more uh, advanceder. There you go. <laughs> That really flows off the tongue. You gotta get the whole thing even more advanced. <laughs> even more advanced. There we go. Yeah. That actually, that actually does sound like a spa- smash up expansion name. <laughs> it, it does actually. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't know. If we smash ever come up, out with it's, smash up it's even more your fault this time. It's even more your fault this time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, it's uh, been nice talking to you again, Brian. 
That was great talking to you. Thank you for having me back on. One last wrap-up on, on L5R stuff. <laughs> With thoughts that have been that have been going through my head over the past year plus and uh you know yourself likewise and you know probably probably many of your listeners i'm guessing <laughs> have had the occasional thought on yeah on this and l5r and that in in retrospect maybe when the the new l5r comes out we can we can have you come on and be like okay now see if you can review this without burning any bridges <laughs> 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 okay. that might be a podcast that uh that I don't know if I'll be able to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it'll just be universally obvious, and you'll be able to say that everything about it is perfect without sounding like a total suck-up. I don't know. <laughs> exactly, but then you don't need me. <laughs> I don't know. Like I'm, I'm really bad at being universally positive and sounding like a suck-up. <laughs> That's just not my it, shtick. And it can't. It, you know what? It's. Sincerity could be a hard thing to fake or whatever, right? Like, if and if you're if you're just genuinely excited about something and you're just describing it, it can a lot of times come out as just a suck up. And it's like, yeah, I guess I am sort of being a suck up, but it's just because I'm genuinely excited about this thing I'm sucking up about. Yeah, just because I'm a suck up doesn't mean it's not a great game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, glad to have you on. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there on iTunes or Google Play. You can find us on the usual social media sites uh, at Strange Assembly on Twitter or Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly. I always like to hear from our listeners or readers, so you can email me. I'm Chris at StrangeAssembly.com. But until then... For Brian Reese, I'm Chris Stevenson, and you've been listening to Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.